Right, fired up. Deep breath, let's get after it. I think this is gonna give us a good buffer here. We're just gonna go like hell. And four, engage the go like hell. Bumper, 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 go that door. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good right now. Go, go, go. All you got now. Oh, he just wrecked us. Just you and him, bud. I'm all hard. Still there. Quarter. Clear. Clear all the way by half. No runs coming. Man, see better. Good morning, race fans. Today is Wednesday, March 31st, 2021, and you are tuned in to Hard Charging. My name is Mike Bachman, and today is episode 7 of this NASCAR podcast. And yes, I understand it's Wednesday. We had a little bit of a delay with the Bristol Dirt Race. Wanted to make sure that I had all of my ideas and notes ready to break down this historic weekend from Bristol. So that is why... This episode is dropping on Wednesday, but we are dropping the hammer every Tuesday during the NASCAR season on a regular basis. But on today's episode, we are breaking down the Food City Dirt Race from Bristol Motor Speedway, perhaps the biggest potential spectacle on the 2021 schedule. And while this race wasn't without its headaches, I will tell you why I have never been so happy to be so wrong about my prediction for this race. And we're going to focus primarily on the Bristol race for this episode. But of course, we will end our week with our weekly dose of motivation by honoring the legacy of Betty Jane France for the final day of March. We're heading into April, ladies and gentlemen, and 2021 is flying by already. So without further ado, what do you say? Let's fire the engines. Just a couple of housekeeping notes before we get this show started. I uh, want to make you aware of the YouTube channel where all of our content is being uh, published. YouTube, we got content on TikTok as well. Uh, all of those links will be in the description of this episode and every episode if you want to connect with me on social media. We talk NASCAR on the daily on Twitter. As I mentioned, the TikTok channel, we got extra content and of course, our YouTube channel where we got podcast segments. We've got some exclusive videos coming out in the coming days, so if you want to uh, be the first to know. Be sure to subscribe to that channel. Let's get to 50 subscribers. We are on path to getting up to 50. We're setting small goals, but I appreciate all of the support here. And of course, every Tuesday from here on out, uh, just being on Wednesday, just with scheduling with the races and just wanted to make sure that I had enough to talk about this crazy historic weekend from Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, just wanted to make sure I had all that for you. But in the future, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern here on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, we are probably on there. So enough of this. Let's now jump into this race recap from the Food City Dirt Race and Bristol Motor Speedway. And I have to start because... Over the past few weeks, especially if you listen to last week's episode, if you've seen any of the hard-charging content as, as of late, you know that I have been really talking about this Bristol Dirt Race and my views coming into this weekend and what I thought we were going to see this weekend. And I can honestly say that I have never been happier to be wrong in my entire life, and I'm glad that I was wrong about this because I was tough on this Bristol race. I really was not sure of what we were going to see and as you know I thought that this was just a desperate move to increase ratings just by throwing dirt on Bristol dirt Bristol's not a dirt track there are so many dirt tracks out here in the United States that we have been to that could be ready to host a NASCAR sanctioned event uh, but throwing dirt on Bristol obviously just elevating the storyline here and Bristol being one of the best tracks on the schedule you know 
It just adds adds excitement to that weekend. But that was the other thing. Compromising a date at arguably the best track on the schedule here at Bristol Motor Speedway, not knowing how these drivers were going to adapt, how the track surface was going to hold up. You know, running a 250-lap dirt race, which is, by the way, not the longest dirt race on record. I saw something. I can't remember where it was off the top of my head, but I saw a little nugget. Uh, there were actually two 500-lap dirt races run in NASCAR back in the 50s. So this was not the longest dirt race by any means. But nonetheless, it was one of the longest uh, that we have seen in quite a while. And it's longer than usual, as we all know. Uh, so a 250-lap dirt race, unaware of how the track was going to change, unaware of how drivers were going to adapt. It just seemed like we were just throwing drivers into this what I thought was going to be a mess. And I'll be honest, I did. But... I, it, it was not. I was wrong. And, you know, this weekend did have a couple of instances where it could have really took a turn from the worst. And I got to start uh, at the beginning here in this weekend with the weather and the rain, the monsoon that we had, which swept away all of the excitement uh, coming into this weekend. I really think that the practice sessions on Thursday were, were a great indication of uh, what we were going to get during the weekend. And let me tell you, it was great that we were able to get those practice sessions. I was really looking forward to the qualifiers, but the qualifiers especially were going to be a great indication. You know, 15-lap shootouts here and there with, with, with drivers on track, being able to just see how cars were going to maneuver in traffic and how guys were going to be aggressive, you know, and how the track was really going to fare under a traditional race setting. So we weren't able to get that, but... Good Lord, man, if any of you saw photos of Bristol of the track Sunday morning, I mean, it was nuts. I didn't know if we were even going to be able to get a race on Monday. Here I am uh, recording this now, and we could have still had a race on Tuesday with a post moment. Who the hell would have known? Uh, but the entire track outside, the parking lots flooded underwater. No absolute way we were going to get this thing in. I really think that the sport should have canceled the race uh, prior to Sunday morning, uh, they should have canceled on Saturday just with the amount of rain that was falling. And there were even photos taken inside of the track. You could see all the dirt, all the mud seeping down the banking and just hanging there on the apron. There was no chance in hell that we were going to get this race started on Sunday. So in the best interest of everybody, uh, it was smart to move it to Monday. But, you know, just with that, a big, big part of why this race was implemented into the 2021 schedule was because it needed to increase ratings into this spring date. It has definitely lost some of its mojo that it had in recent years. And this was a big deterrent having to postpone it to Monday. And it's unfortunate that the two marquee events uh, this year so far have been delayed by weather, the Daytona 500 here and the Bristol dirt race because this was heavily marketed as the marquee event. I know I talked about last week how, you know, one of my other gripes with this Bristol dirt race was just the fact that people were saying we needed another spectacle, but we took away a crown jewel being the in, uh, the Brickyard 400 rather on the traditional speedway. And while I do understand that that race typically does not put on the most exciting race, what it means to kiss the bricks, the legacy of that uh, racetrack and the history surrounding that racetrack you know it's more than just the on-track racing it's a bigger there's a bigger part 
to winning that race, which is why it is a crown jewel. But tampering with that and then saying we had to put on another spectacle, you know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, you know. But obviously this with uh, the dirt race being way more exciting and just having that marketable factor to it, uh, being that it is Bristol and being that we're throwing dirt on it, you know, obviously was uh, a big advantage. But just the fact that this race was postponed, it did lose a lot of a lot of that traction. And, you know, unfortunately, when this race was postponed, I just saw all over Twitter NASCAR fans up in a ruckus and up in a muck just saying that, you know, this race should have been rescheduled for prime time. And that, you know, running it at 4 p.m. on Monday afternoon, yes, a lot of people are working. But, guys, you can't always get what you want. As sports fans, you know, don't be hypocrites. I'm sorry. Because that's all you are. And that's all you were saying right now. We've been talking about how we're supposed to be fixing the times of these races because they're starting too late, 3.30 p.m. on Sunday. And now, you know, an unfortunate reschedule of the of the race. What what, what do you want NASCAR to do? What, what did you want them to do? I mean, it's unfortunately, some of these things are inevitable. What NASCAR really needs to do in the future is change the date of this race. I saw something on Twitter uh, regarding the postponed spring races at Bristol. There have been six since 2007 that have been postponed or delayed by rain. And this was, i uh, got to give credit where credit is due, by at DaltonGood18 on Twitter with that nugget. Uh, so a big part of why this race has lost a lot of its viewership could be attributed to just that fact. Just the fact that this race, historically, in the past 15 or so years, however long it's been at this point, you know, tends to be hindered by weather, tends to be delayed. So unfortunately, we had much of the same here. And, you know, that was a big deterrent, I think, for a lot of people, and especially just the fact that people were so pissed off that the race didn't get rescheduled Monday night. It got rescheduled Monday afternoon. But nonetheless, we'll talk about ratings in, uh, later on because they did come out today. Uh, so we will discuss uh, the TV ratings and what those looked like for a Monday race. But this track crew, I mean... I. And I was very, very vocal about this on Twitter. The track crew at Bristol Motor Speedway deserves all of the credit in the world for this weekend because getting flooded out and then not being able to start prepping the track for the race on Monday until 7.30 p.m. Sunday, they had to wait that long to get on the track to start prepping it uh, for the following day. And man, Monday morning, beautiful blue skies. The track looked gorgeous. It looked pristine, perfect. They did a phenomenal job getting this thing ready for the truck race at 12 p.m. noon and then for the Cup Series race at 4 p.m. in the evening. But even during that, this track crew throughout the race was put in a couple of positions where they really had to think on their feet. You know, there were some moments in this race that could have changed the narrative immediately. And it started in the beginning. Kyle Busch, unfortunately, was a victim of the heavy dirt that was being caked on the front of the vents and cars overheating. And, you know, maybe they moistened the track a little bit too much prior, but it did dry up uh, as the race went on. But Kyle Busch just unfortunately... Uh, another victim of something out of his control again. But uh, track crews, NASCAR made difficult decisions, tough decisions, but strategic ones in order to maintain the mojo of this race and produce a great finish. 
So all in all, I really, really believe that this race was a great success. And once again, I cannot state it enough uh, just how happy I am to be wrong because it's only going to get better from here. And a shocking announcement made, uh, or maybe not too shocking, but definitely I think shocking for a lot of people, uh, the fact that we're going to be running the dirt once again next spring in 2022 with the next-gen car. And as I said, it's only going to get better from here. This race uh, really, really was a great showing. And it shows just how incredibly adaptable these race car drivers are. These are the best drivers in North America, arguably the best drivers in the entire world, NASCAR drivers. And much of the storylines throughout this race did not surround the dirt ringers, the Larsons, the Bells, uh, even guys, you know, guys like Austin Dillon, who th I thought was going to have a really good run, or some of the dirt ringers that, you know, just ran this race to run this race, guys like Stuart Friesen uh, and others. So it was not a race that focused on the dirt ringers and guys with heavy dirt experience. It was quite the opposite. You know, we were talking about guys like Daniel Suarez, like Martin Truex Jr., who before this week, had never raced on dirt in their life. Daniel Suarez on his radio and talking to the broadcast literally said he had no idea what he was doing. And this guy was up front uh, for a large portion of this race. So it was not focused on the dirt ringers. It was focused on all these guys who uh, really did not have much dirt experience. So while dirt experience definitely, you know, did help some guys out because we did see guys like Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Newman, uh, Tyler Reddick as well. We'll talk about the top finishers in a minute, but we did see some guys with dirt experience. It definitely uh, came into play, but it was not nearly as much of a factor as I think a lot of people thought it was. And that could be attributed just to the fact that, you know, Bristol is not a traditional dirt track. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how the truck series does when they go to Knoxville later this year, uh, which is a traditional dirt race. And if possibly there is a chance, you know, where NASCAR in the future could run on a traditional dirt surface, uh, that remains to be seen. And, you know, the whole uh, argument as far as what dirt's place in NASCAR is, especially the Cup Series, you know, that's a debate that we'll talk that we'll talk about in the future if we ever get to that point. But br just the fact that Bristol is not your traditional dirt track, it's just an asphalt track with dirt thrown on it. You know, maybe that maybe that just didn't allow for dirt experience to be as impactful as we thought. Uh, but nonetheless, let's go through these top finishers here and discuss some of these storylines with some of these drivers because Joey Logano becomes the seventh different winner to win in seven races. Uh, and it's the second week in a row where a Penske boy who that spent the entire weekend in the booth gets the win. So you got to believe, man, that drivers here are at much of an advantage in the booth. Because Joey Logano during the truck race, uh, throughout the truck race, was talking about just how crazy it was. There were moments where, you know, he was he was all jokey about it. But, you know, you had to think that him in the booth right there is just going to be like, Oh, holy crap. Like, I'm going to be here in a few hours and I have no idea what the hell I'm going to be doing. Uh, but nonetheless... Just being up there, being able to use that information, obviously played into Logano's uh, favor, and he found himself there at the front, and even with not much dirt experience, was able to drive that car to victory lane. So Joey Logano is the winner of the inaugural uh, Bristol Dirt Race, and 
right behind him, it was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. who did have a very strong run, hovered around the top 10, top 15 most of the day. But he's a guy with a lot of dirt experience that a, a lot of people thought was going to be a dark horse. And he found his way there in the top three where it counted. So a great run for Stenhouse, who continues to be solid all year to start the year. Right behind him, Denny Hamlin with another Denny Hamlin finish that we have. Just a top five. Not much laps led, but was up front basically all day and just unfortunately didn't have enough there to battle Joey Logano. I thought we were going to get a nice vintage, old school, beating and banging Bristol finish, uh, but Hamlin just took the high line and honestly gave it up himself, let, left himself with no shot of getting by Joey Logano. And yes, you know, the track, it changed drastically as we saw as soon as the track rubbered up guys were really having to hold the bottom and it turned into an old school style Bristol race which I think a lot of old school fans really appreciated and you know maybe enjoy just the fact that you know it was old school and it had that feel but it was extremely difficult to use the top uh, at certain points just based on how the track was changing and when uh, but Denny Hamlin just really didn't give himself enough enough of a opportunity to get to Logano's bumper, and he really could have. He could have sent it in there, sent Logano up into the wall, and have taken this one himself. And a lot of people would, I think, have really, really enjoyed that, uh, but just wasn't able to put himself in that position and take advantage of it or even decide to do it himself. So I'm not sure where that stands, but it's a solid top three for Hamlin. That win is coming soon, obviously. Uh, you can't count. Denny Hamlin out there. I have to talk about Daniel Suarez now because Team Trackhouse, Daniel Suarez, they have been one hell of a story to start this year. And Daniel Suarez, a guy, as I mentioned, who has no dirt experience, did not race on a dirt car until this week at Bristol. And he was out here looking like the best driver all day. I mean, he was hanging and he was overtaking Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano and some of these guys and fighting them. I mean, Daniel Suarez took sole control of this race, led most of stage two. He unfortunately wasn't able to really maintain that lead and maintain uh, his cushion that he had. It kind of fell off, but just the fact he was able to still remain in the top three and four was super impressive, especially with the fact that Austin Dillon, you know, was in the outside the top 20 all day. Tyler Reddick came on strong late, but remember, this team trackhouse car is an RCR car. So Daniel Suarez was extremely strong uh, in a race where a lot of people thought Austin Dillon was going to be a dark horse. He was really nowhere to be found, and Tyler Reddick, you know, was okay, but came on strong late to salvage a top 10 finish. Uh, but Daniel Suarez, man, all the credit to them and team trackhouse. They have really, really been overshadowing 2311 Racing here early in the going. 2311 Racing, Bubba Wallace had a strong run. They were running inside the top 10 late, but unfortunately had a cut tire, thanks in part to Ricky Stenthouse Jr., uh, but just again, a bad luck on, on 2311 Racing's end, and this team does have speed, but right now Team Trackhouse has overshadowed 2311 Racing just because... We view 2311 Racing as a top 10 contender with all the resources they have and all the expectations with this team surrounding the name. And then we got Team Trackhouse, who a lot of people I think thought was just going to be a top 25, if lucky, maybe a top 15 car consistently. And here they are, Daniel Suarez's first time on dirt and last week with an interim crew chief with two, two great performances uh, and race winning speed. To be honest, it's been really, really cool to see. So uh, credit to that team for 
an incredible performance. They really, really have to be in a great spot uh, mentally now. Ryan Newman, a great top five. Uh, I was really pulling for Newman at the end there, man. Uh, did spin out, did a, did a nice little 360, was able to sp was able to save the car uh, early in the race and fought his way back and was up there fighting in the top five uh, there at the end. So great to see Ryan Newman up there. And I got to you know, even talk about Chris Buescher and Roush Fenway racing again because Chris Buescher was uh, inside the top 10, 9th, 10th, 11th place most of the day, comes away with a 14th place finish. Uh, but Roush Fenway racing again continues to impress here early on. William Byron was... The best running Hendrick car, uh, for the most part, all day in the top 10. We talked about Tyler Reddick, and then some other guys that got a shout-out with some good finishes. Eric Jones in the 43, a ninth-place finish. Matt Benedetto, who started in the back, uh, drove up to a 13th place, so that was really good to see. Martin Truex Jr., he dominated the truck race, uh, swept the stages, absolutely dominated the truck race. It really was no contest. It was... Uh, Martin Truex Jr.'s, I think, what was it, his third race in a, in a, in a truck and his first win since uh, 2006, or he hadn't raced trucks since 2006, his third start in the truck series and became the uh, third, 36th driver to win in all three national series, which is pretty cool. But Martin Truex Jr. dominated the truck race, dominated much of the early portions of the cup race, and then, you know, just kind of lost it at the end. His car uh, really fell off and just wasn't able to uh, to bounce back there and comes away with a uh, top 15 inside the top 20, 19th place finish. But we talk about some of these dirt ringers. We haven't said Chase Briscoe's name. He finishes 20th. We talked about Austin Dillon. Uh, Austin Dillon had a 21st place finish. Stuart Friesen. I mean, Stuart Friesen was driving a Spire Motorsports car. You know, were a lot, was a lot of people really going to think that he was going to be fighting inside the top 10, even with that dirt experience? Probably not. But the two big boys, the two big ones, who we probably were going to be talking about in this race was going to be dictated by Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, the two favorites, wrecked out early. And this was all a part of Christopher Bell. And Christopher Bell... Uh, was running the top, unfortunately just lost it. There wasn't enough grip up there. Uh, it didn't come in enough to the point where uh, Bell spun out, took out Kyle Larson, and they both got pancaked by Ross Chastain. Larson was able to continue on, uh, wasn't able to get his laps back. He was just kind of riding there in about 30th place. And Christopher Bell, unfortunately, was out in the garage. But Early on in this race, these two drivers were the most exciting to watch. Christopher Bell uh, is one is so much fun to watch on dirt. He was my pick to win the race. And Kyle Larson starting in the back, he had made up so much ground so quickly, uh, you know. And it was really, I think a lot of it was really going to turn into the Kyle Larson Christopher Bell battle. That was what I think a lot of people thought was going to happen. And then you know that just completely changed the narrative of this one. Uh, just the fact that Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell were out, but you know it was a mistake on Christopher Bell, and it just goes to show that the best of the best, you know, anything can happen, especially in these dirt races. And you know it opened the door for a lot of these guys who don't have the experience on dirt, and they were able to put together great finishes. But I mean, it was just it was crazy. I uh, I I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was I I was talking about. Uh, Christopher Bell on his run, and then Kyle Larson, and then just watching Christopher Bell lose it, uh, I lost it. 
I lost it in my seat. I was like, holy smokes, this, there's no way this is happening. And then my immediate thought was, you know, there were pro I can't imagine that there was a large uh, a large audience of traditional dirt racing fans, whether it be from the world of outlaws, whether it be people that are traditional super late model watchers, you know, people that probably tuned into this race just for Kyle Larson and for Christopher Bell and to watch that battle because it was probably going to be, like I've said, a Kyle Larson versus Christopher Bell battle and those being the two most experienced dirt guys out there. I mean, Kyle Larson wrecked out of the truck race, wrecked out of this one. I mean, I, I don't I don't have the stats in front of me, but, but, but when's the last... Th these might be two of Kyle Larson's worst finishes on dirt in his entire career, you know? And this was the weekend where we all thought Kyle Larson was going to run away with it, where we thought Christopher Bell was going to run away with it. And unfortunately, early out... They lost it. So I do, I have an inkling that there was a large audience of people that came in to watch the Kyle Larson versus Christopher Bell. And, you know, with that narrative being taken away, was there a decent amount of viewership that maybe was lost? I mean, that's a possibility, in my opinion. Uh, but it was definitely disappointing. But I got to tell you, it was so cool seeing some of these non traditional dirt ringers uh, be able to work their car and you know, have fun doing it. It really sounded like a lot of drivers loved this race and loved the challenge because this 550 horsepower package and, you know, the nature of these mile and a half races, as we talk about every episode, uh, you know, takes a lot of that driver skill out of the driver's hands, you know, running full throttle and not working the throttle or, or working the brake. So, this race was all about driver skill, and yes, there were times where it did seem to be a little bit frustrating, especially uh, early on with the caked with the uh, caked mud on the vents and you know some guys overheating. But also, you know, mid midway into this race, it, we had the dust storms and the dust just accumulating and guys not being able to see. I mean, right there in the middle of stage two, just the combination of dust. And, you know, the angle of the sun where it was setting made it absolutely impossible to see anything heading into turn two. And we saw, especially on some of those early restarts, just all of the dust lingering in the air and, you know, guys not being able to see. And then, you know, we got cautions uh, every, every, every restart. So NASCAR was put in that position, you know, what to do at the end of the stage. They, you know, made the decision mid-race to go back to uh, single file restarts, which we haven't seen for over a decade at this point. And so it really made it feel like an old school Bristol race. But, you know, NASCAR thinking on their feet, trying to be strategic. I don't like NASCAR making mid-race calls, making mid-season changes, but I got to give credit to them. NASCAR's got, for the lack of a wet, lack of a better term, balls to make these decisions mid-race for the betterment of uh, what's to come, you know, I, I give them credit for being able to make those tough decisions because they spent the extra 10, 15 minutes on the track. They got it prepared and we had an incredible final stage, uh, with no dust really. That was as bad as it was there in stage two. So, you know, NASCAR thinking on their feet, trying to think strategic, you know, as I said, I'm not a fan of them making mid season changes, making mid race changes. I wish they would have gone back to double file restarts, uh, or had just red flagged the race there and had uh, prepped the track 
But again, you can't always get what you want, but I have to give him credit uh, for having the balls to be able to make those changes and to be able to, uh, you know, have the confidence to make those changes mid race, not knowing, you know, what can happen because that could have changed the the entire complexion of the second half of the race and the race could have lost all of its mojo uh, from the first half if, if that dust was a recurring issue and if nothing was really going to work. So good job to NASCAR for being able to do that and, you know, uh, exacerbate exacerbate the situation. Uh, but, you know, all in all, I have to say it was a very successful weekend in my opinion. I thought the truck race was, you know, it was entertaining. Uh, it was definitely slow paced or just a, just with the number of cautions. And, you know, I thought that the cup race was a perfect number uh, and a perfect, ba- a perfect balance of green flag and yellow flag uh, caution laps. And we didn't have as many cautions as I had thought we were going to have. It was a much cleaner race than I thought uh, because, because these are the best drivers in the world. Uh, but regardless, you know, just the fact that there wasn't too many caution breaks, you know, did not really mess with the tempo of the race and the speed of the race. So that was definitely nice because the pace of the truck race was extremely slow. Uh, and just the fact that, you know, Martin Truex Jr. dominated was uh, was another thing. But there seemed to be a lot of great mid-pack racing. I actually had a buddy who was there in the stands, which is super cool. Uh, but he was really, really impressed with a lot of the mid-pack racing uh, that was going on. So if it wasn't happening up front, you better believe it was happening mid-pack. So all in all, the racing was great. And I'm, I am a fan. I'm hooked now. And I'm glad, you know, I will never root for something that does not uh, serve the sport for, for the better. Uh, you know, if, if it's a success, I'm on board. And you know what? This was a success. It was great uh, on-track action. It was a great show. And who knows what the future holds here for Bristol and for Bristol Dirt. Uh, because we are running the dirt next year in the spring. And... Not knowing what the 2022 schedule is going to look like, I really think it's in NASCAR's best interest to move the date of this spring race if they can, or if they want, and if they want a giant, friggin' bigger spectacle, run the dirt at night in the summer in the playoffs. If you really want to go crazy, why don't you do that? Because talk about a spectacle. So you want to talk Bristol dirt under the under the lights, man, in the playoffs? Hell yeah, I'm on board. Let's go. I mean, because this race is only going to get better from here. Drivers are going to get so much more experience on dirt in the interim. And Bristol's got to feel so confident about this because do you know how much money it must cost to lug all that dirt into the track to then lug it out to then bring it back? I mean, that does not sound uh, too cheap. It sounds like it costs a pretty penny. Uh, but Bristol Motor Speedway, Marcus Smith, they are super confident about this. And, I mean, the only the only thing that I think they need to change is the date of this race so that there's not a threat of rain as we have seen in the past here. And, you know, also, too, possibly shortening it just a little bit. 250 laps for a dirt race is still very, very long. I think it's in NASCAR's best interest to shorten this thing just a little bit because that then ups the tempo of this race and increases the intensity uh, of the drivers, I think, especially. So those are my only two suggestions, but I really, really was uh, very, very excited about 
uh, this weekend after the fact. And I, I'm very excited for the future of this race, only because it's going to get better. It was a very, very good start. And who knows what the future holds, like I said. Uh, what Bristol has as far as future plans uh, for the dirt and for Bristol Motor Speedway as a whole. Uh, you know, crazy things have happened. Uh, so I'm not going to get into any specifics, maybe. Uh, but we'll see what happens, I guess, in the future. But very, very excited for next year. And with that said, I want to look at the TV ratings now from this race because they did come out uh, per Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal, who always uh, is the first to put out these TV ratings. But it earned a 1.8 rating and 3.114 million viewers for uh, the rescheduled dirt race. Three million viewers for a Monday uh, is got to be some of the largest numbers in recent in recent memory. That's maybe outside of a Daytona 500. Uh, but uh, I mean, for a Monday race, it's it's really great to see that number. I would really be curious to know what Fox's goal was for a typical Sunday race. If this race was not uh, dampened by weather and postponed, I would really really like to know what Fox's goal was. Uh, for a normal race weekend here, you know, because it's unfortunate that we can't really determine what that number is. And, you know, the and the just the representation of viewership is not going to be accurate. Um, but still great to know that three million people tuned in for a Monday race uh, with the all the stories being surrounded here uh, for Bristol. And like I said, I just think that they need to change the date, move it out of the spring, or just move it and make make a spectacle out of the uh, out of the night race in the playoffs. If if dirt is the future at Bristol, uh, that I think would just be an even more uh, even greater spectacle than we did have now. But I gotta say, uh, I'm very very as I sit here right now, I'm very very optimistic. And who knows, man. Uh, dirt racing was a lot of fun. Dirt racing is a lot of fun. I highly recommend if any of you guys are interested in dirt racing for checking out World of Outlaws or some of the super late model guys. Uh, they are super, super talented. And who knows what the future in NASCAR is regarding dirt? You know, is NASCAR going to go and start moving in a direction where we start to see other track surfaces? We see them uh, with this street race in Chicago with iRacing and that announcement made about a week ago. Uh, they're looking into the idea of possibly running a street course. Could we possibly see more uh, dirt races in the future? You know, I point back to the point I made uh, regarding Knoxville Raceway, which the truck race is racing at later this year. If that's a success, the truck race, the truck races, I'm not worried about. They've run at Eldora. Uh, the truck races on dirt are great. Um, but is there a place for the Cup Series, possibly even the Xfinity Series, to run on dirt consistently? I'm not saying you got to run 10 dirt races every year, but, you know, if you throw maybe three, four dirt races if possible, you don't even need to do that. But just to break it up and shake it up a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't think that that's the worst idea in the world right now. I've done a complete 180 on on, on my, my thoughts uh, on Bristol and just dirt in NASCAR on its own, but... It was just, it was the uncertainty heading into it, man. I I, I was very uh, reserved about this, and you know I was just I was I was concerned, just because of the unknown and just because of the fact that Bristol is so good on its own, 
and just by throwing dirt on it, I mean, it just seemed impractical. It really did, but that's why I don't make those decisions. That's why I just get to sit here and you guys just get to hear me ramble about it. And, you know, when I'm wrong, you guys can laugh in my face because I deserve it. But I love it because uh, it was a great weekend, great showing for these drivers, and I'm all for it, man. Let's see more, and we're going to see more. And with the next-gen car coming around, it's going to be uh, very, very exciting. So I would say an all-in-all success uh, from Bristol Dirt, and man, a lot of fun breaking that down. So we're going to look ahead now. We are off this upcoming weekend, so we're going to look ahead to uh, a week after this. Uh, because we do have the Easter holiday this upcoming weekend, no racing, but it's not going to stop us because we're going to be back with our regularly scheduled program next Tuesday, breaking down all the latest news, previewing Martinsville under the lights. That's the next race coming up, man. We have Bristol Dirt headed into Martinsville. Can we or will we see uh, our eighth different winner and make us halfway to 16 and just eight races? Well, we won't jump the gun. We'll wait for next Tuesday to break that down. Uh, but that's going to do it for me, I think, for today's episode. Wanted to keep it strictly Bristol dirt because of the hype surrounding it and because of the uh, you know the crazy storylines surrounding it. So uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in to episode 7. I would really like to hear your thoughts on this episode on Twitter and your thoughts of Bristol dirt. What did, were your takeaways from the race? Did you enjoy it and do you... Hope to see more dirt races in NASCAR in the future. Let me know on Twitter, uh, that link, as well as the YouTube channel and all other social media channels are in the description of this episode and every episode. Uh, be sure to check out all the content we've got uh, being released here with the Hard Charge and Brand. But now to close the show, and as we do every week, we like to instill some motivation. So this is a NASCAR podcast. I get that. A lot of you guys here are here for the NASCAR content. But the hard charging brand is about living life to the fullest and embodying really what it means to be hard charging in life. So I've decided that throughout the month of March, we've been doing this for the past three weeks, that we'll highlight a woman in NASCAR for uh, Women's Appreciation Month and Women's History Month. So last week, we highlighted Janet Guthrie, and this week, I want to honor the legacy of Betty Jane France, who served the sport for over six decades. Betty Jane France founded the NASCAR Foundation in 2006. She played a large role in establishing the renowned racing-themed Speediatrics Children's Care Units at Halifax Health and Homestead Hospital. And her commitment to improving the quality of a child's life is something that the foundation really continues to embrace today. And that legacy is honored through the Betty Jane France Humanitarian Award, recognizing charitable and volunteer efforts of NASCAR fans. So Betty Jane France, a pioneer in the sport, uh, wife of Bill France Jr. And you know, all that she has done, not only for the sport, but its impact and its greater impact in its community. We thank Betty Jane France for all of her contributions and her legacy in this sport for the greater good of those who are involved. And above all else, ladies and gentlemen, keep your foot to the floor, leave the BS out the door, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. <laughs> I really appreciate the sport and hope you guys, if you celebrate the Easter holiday, enjoy the Easter holiday. I'll see you guys next week. We'll break down all the latest news in NASCAR, catch you up on all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy uh, the weekend. I'll talk to you next week. This is Mike Bachman signing off. Bye.